Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I am joined by Lee Peel. And uh, we've just been chatting off air and I just discussed how I first came across Lee through the Fitcast uh, by Kevin Lairby. And um, this is, well, it definitely was a leading podcast. It probably, I think he's still running it and it's still quite big and it's grown massively and really changed uh, but that is actually kind of what spurred me on while I was working office job to get into the industry. And I wanted to invite Lee onto the podcast because I feel like she has a lot to share. Um, and I feel like a lot of the audience that we speak to probably haven't heard of Lee. And I think that's a bit of a shame. And just to give Lee a bit of background so that you have some idea of who she is, what she's about is... I kind of going off her bio, kind of went to school and didn't particularly get on with that area um, and then found that she wanted to plow through research and has been continuing to do so and learning a lot about kind of body recomposition, fat loss, muscle growth, all of those areas, nutrition um, and has read, I mean, has written many great publications of which one we're going to talk some detail in and does have a certification with the National Academy of Sports Medicine that she keeps up to date. Um, so she's a trainer, author and coach and uh, she did have her own podcast and we've just been speaking, she is going to be re restarting that which is incredibly exciting for me. Um, so if you guys like podcasts, which everyone listening does, uh, definitely check that out, that will be linked below. Um, so that was a very brief introduction, Lee. Is there anything else you want to kind of let the listeners know? No, I thought you did very well. That was that was a very good introduction. Um, yeah, I I basically you know I, I've I've been in it for a bit. You 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 very classic, classily told me that I'm old, and then I've been around for a while, and that I'm I'm um I'm slightly unpopular now, um, and that I'm I'm I always kind of look at it as if that I'm gonna have my Robert Downey Jr. moment. Um, you know, he kind of like faded out a little bit in the eighties and the nineties and granted he was in jail and like in rehab. Okay, fine. But you know, and then he came back with Iron Man. So I'm going, that's my track that I'm going on right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to that kind of phase of things, but no, you totally nailed it. And, um, yeah, I, I, if anyone's listening, you know, I, I do do a lot of things. I, I research a lot of things. I do research training, um, specific stuff as well. But what people kind of think of me as and know of me as is really getting into that nutrition, metabolism, research, things like that. That really is kind of my bag. It's it's just what I get off on, the psychology of eating, the nutrition, the research. It's just it's what I like. So, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a good intro. And I think you do have a small link because I do remember saying that you're a big fan of Lawrence Judd, um, who I am friends I am with, and he's part of Shredded by Judd. Science. So yes, I do love like he's um he's just a sweetie, um <laughs> yeah he's just and also like I just I like his work. I mean he's mm -hmm. he's really good at what he does, but um I am a big fan of Lawrence. Um I I've stalked his Facebook and Instagram pages frequently. Um, appropriately, but <laughs> I'm sure he actually listened to this podcast. I'm not sure if he's a frequent listener to the podcast, but I'm sure he'll listen to this episode. Um, so he'll, he'll be glad that he's been brought up. Uh, so to go into kind of the main topic, the book I wanted to talk about was one of my favorite books. Um, I, I mean, I've read loads of books, but this one always stuck out to me as one I really enjoyed because, I mean, it did get into some deep, deep details on things like metabolism. Um, and it was called Starve Mode. Um, yeah. which I think a lot of people kind of recognize as maybe a bit of a kind of catchy term. And I, I mean, I'm yes. sure it was purposely named that for maybe part of that reason, but because there's also some truth to that and some people kind of see it the wrong way. But if we just start off with kind of what is Starve Mode? What was the book for? What was it about? Um, just to kind of give the listeners kind of an overview. Yeah, um, it started out initially as um, I wrote a book called The Metabolic Repair Manual. And, um, I wrote it young. I wrote it when, um, I won't mention any specific names just cause I don't want to put certain people's information on blast, but I used to be part of a forum and we had kind of a special subsection and we were dealing with the issues of, and this was back in 2006, 2007, we were dealing with, um, kind of really testing refeeding, um, what refeeding is, uh, what, uh, metabolic damages, quote unquote, or adaptation, understanding the roles of leptin and Greenland and how, how, it, how it all kind of like works. We had, uh, it was a kind of a bunch of us that had different clients, especially females who, um, had a tendency to get stuck or, um, not be able to get past certain points regardless of training and really accurate meticulous measurements. 
And we didn't really understand why, because um, it wasn't just an issue of, yeah, you know, they're sneaking more or um, they're not doing this or they're not doing that. And we couldn't figure out answers to questions or problems that was happening. And I, I took it upon myself to kind of make it my particular baby. In doing that, obviously, there's some trips and some stumbles. Uh, so the first book that I wrote, I called it that um, because it was kind of a, my way of looking at metabolic resetting or repairing or, you know, there wasn't really terms for it during that time. Even metabolic adaptation, we threw it around, but it wasn't as common as obviously it is now. So we looked at that and we kind of came up with refeeding protocols because in the anorexia or bulimia world, um, in an actual clinical research, uh, there's still to this day very specific particular protocols. Um, uh, they stick to very specific numbers based upon static metabolic rates or static um, activity factors um, based upon literally weight, height, size, age um, and there was not a lot of um, associations or accounting for how much activity they actually did take, how much they moved. And, and basically, you'd have a lot of girls that would go from eating four or 500 calories a day um, to eating 3,000 calories. And um, they would, you know, have like refeeding syndrome issues in which there was actual medical problems, mm -hmm. problems with, you know, too much electrolyte imbalances and, and, and um, edema issues and things like that. So... You have that area, which goes into the more kind of political extreme and how much of it is treating, not treating outside of scope, inside of scope. The lines do blur. And, and I always have to be careful and I continue to be ethically and professionally careful with that. But we had all that research. There wasn't a lot about the middle ground. You know, what happens when individuals, female or, or male, but it, it does tend to happen to a lot of females. Mm -hmm. What happens when um, an individual is they're training, they're working hard, maybe they have the female triad uh, issues, uh, maybe they're, they're having issues with um, osteoporosis and not losing weight, water retention, but they're not trying to be anorexic or mm -hmm. are having any sort of kind of the emotional or psychological issues that may be counterplayed. They're really just trying to get to a goal and doing what they think needs to be right or things like that. That was kind of the target. That was kind of the subclinical, um, uh, where did the lines like kind of blur? And we were really trying to help those individuals. And I, I especially was trying to help those individuals. So the work kind of parlayed over. I, I got better at the research. I got better at understanding. And I practiced and practiced and practiced with many different um, clients. I had just a lot of guinea pigs. And I, I found that a lot of the answers really did rest in finding the blur in the line between um, understanding the activity factors mixed with the nutrition and the type of nutrition uh, intake for individuals, but also, and more specifically, understanding the psychological portion of it, yeah. because um, the the women refeeding uh, and and people in general, and I, and I don't want to just pimp pigeonhole it, but weight gain or regain um, after deficits all across the board can be traumatic, yeah. uh, a traumatic experience for people. So um, especially if someone's been working really, really hard and been trying to do something or achieve something, and then they have this rebound of weight, they don't understand what it is. Um, starve mode came about by, and it's in quotations, mm -hmm. and, and I always kind of say that because um, technically, you know, does starve mode exist or does starvation mode exist? Technically, it does in the aspect of there's these metabolic processes in which that we go through. Um, but does it exist in the realm of what popular cultural commentary yeah. is? No, not, you know, not so much. So um, it's it's a play on that. And yeah, it's a little clickbaity, um, but um, I'm OK with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and sometimes people argue with me about that. But every time I've gotten in a debate, um, I end up making a friend on mm -hmm. Facebook. I'm not even kidding because I'm like, no, it's not that. It's like this. And they're like, oh, I see what you did. OK, fine. Um, so. You know, that book came about by providing and really what the book provides. And I don't mind telling it because it's just a manual. Um, it provides two different protocols. It provides a protocol in which that if you want to go into refeeding and if you want to recover uh, and you want to kind of go from a place of eating low, no matter how long you've been dieting or training um, to kind of raise um, 
if you will, your metabolic rate and go back to a higher homeostasis. And we can talk about that in detail. Um, VI muscle, VI kind of not being afraid of the weight gain, VI kind of being like, oh, you know what? Like, I just, I just need to eat again. Oh, okay, no problem. I'll eat again. I'll train hard. I'll go at it. And then there's a section of it that goes about it a little bit more delicately, um, in which that tries to explain to people that are afraid of the regain or who have more hesitancy about those issues, how they can kind of introduce it you know, slowly, uh, and, and perhaps rebuild up to that point so that their emotional and psychological aspects of it can, can kind of get on board as well. And there's argument for that. There's argument for that in, in the refeeding community or in the research community that says, you know, that's crap, just eat food again, what have you. And I find that that argument happens from a lot of men. And the thing is, is that I understand what you're saying. And no one is saying that you have to go through this formula. If you want to go ahead and eat 2,500 calories, 3,000 calories a day, go right ahead. That's awesome. But there's a psychological issue that comes into play for for people, um, and especially women, in which that taking a little bit of a slower pace and having a formula to follow in order to get there just makes them feel more comfortable. And I think the important thing about the material is I don't, I don't paint any pictures. I don't say that one is better than the other. Um, I just simply say, here are your options and the control is in your hands. And I think that that's the most important thing. Um, and, and, you know, ever since starve mode was released, now there's a lot of refeeding protocol books out there and there's a lot of things that talk about it. Um, but I do find that still one of the biggest missing pieces with all of that is understanding the individuality of it. And what I try to do always in my work is understand the individuality of it. And, um, I, I try to do that with the book, um, and the updates will continue to do that as well. The ones that I write. So hopefully hopefully I got all that in there. (laughs) No, I thought that was a great overview. And I think that's, I mean, there's several reasons I really enjoyed the book. Um, I mean, one of the big ones was because I actually put into place the actions that you had there laid out because I was a coach, well, I am a coach, um, and I had clients who were in that state where they were coming to me and they were kind of females who were worried about kind of the fat gain or the weight gain, and it often is females, although I've run the protocol with males as well, and it it gave me just a great structure to do these things, and um, I've also kind of, as you rightly said, and as you put in the book, the reason I really enjoyed it was because you didn't kind of make out that one was more optimal than the other, it's more just what's more suitable to the individual because as much as we all love kind of the black and white and as if we're all yeah. robots there's so much psychology involved with it all that you have to take that into like consideration um so no i thought that was fantastic and we kind of talked about quite a few terms and things like metabolic adaptation damage and i don't know if it would be useful just for the listeners just to explain because i know you'll be really good at it kind of just exactly what the metabolism is um because i knew and part of why i really like the book as well is because i i couldn't just use these protocols and just tell them to people i needed to tell them why i needed to explain the metabolism and i could reference the book and learn more about it there so i thought that was really really good yeah you know ultimately it's it's not, it's a collection of things. Um, people kind of look at the metabolism in a static form and in, and in general, they look at the body in a very static form, uh, in a closed form. Um, and it's kind of one of the popular arguments and, um, even the, this calorie matters or do the not calorie communities, you know, um, it's a closed vacuum kind of thing. Um, but you know, the, the, the metabolism is, is essentially a collection of processes. And in, in this instance, I'm just going to speak it to it, um, in the aspect of energy experience. Expenditure. I think maybe that would be the easiest because we could go at it and I mean, I, we could be here all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go at it from the aspect of energy expenditure because this is kind of where a lay person is going to apply it anyway. Right. Um, so in the aspect of metabolic rate and energy expenditure, you have these collections of things that make that up. Um, and this is where it can get kind of tricky and how much of it connects to another. When we do the research, for example, for basal metabolic rate or your resting metabolic rate, which is essentially what you do at rest. If you're in a coma, these figures, they came about because doctors needed something to help patients and in, in literally in coma situations, feeding in, in, uh, VI tubes or, or trying to get people nutrition, um, in those kind of environments. This was not, this did not come about because bodybuilders wanted to get cut, you know, like that's not how this came about. So we utilized this for a really long period of time, just, just a basal metabolic rate. This is kind of what you need in a day. And then people started caring more and more about 
all these other aspects, the variables. And whenever I look at research and whenever anyone talks about research, it's really about the variables. What changes something? What derives like a new um, section of understanding um, the process? So we have these variables, what we eat is a variable. So this is where you get a lot of the kind of like nutritional dogmatic people that's like, oh, well, if you eat this much protein or if you eat this this little amount of carbs or you, or you don't eat fats or you do eat fats, you're going to have these changes in your thermic effect of food or TEF. And, you know, there are arguments to be um, to be had with saying that, yeah, there, you know, you suck down a bunch of protein and drink a lot of vodka and your TEF is going to be on, <laughs> on like, you know, like it is, it's going to be like on 10. Um, but there's a line between trying to always get a higher number. And that's not always the goal. It's about the optimal number, not the higher number. And a lot of people have a problem with that because they think higher is better, which means I can eat more, which means I'll be happier. And that may be the case um, in some aspects. But, you know, just because you're eating a high amount of protein, it doesn't mean that necessarily your NEAT or your NEPA, which is kind of your subconscious or low-grade activity, couldn't be negatively or positively affected. Again, another variable. Um, and then also you have your T, which is your, th your, your kind of thermic effective activity or what people call formalized training, formalized exercise. Um, this is exercise that you intend to, um, actually like go beyond 60% to 70% of like, uh, you know, your, your VO2 is, is engaged, or you could be going into an anab uh, anabolic kind of state. And, you know, you're, you're really trying to, um, it's not just basic aerobic even, but, but you can like stay in kind of an aerobic area. All of these things are going to be accessed. They're, they're going to be harnessed on purpose. And all of that makes your collective caloric burn or your caloric metabolic rate. So we have that. You have your basal, which can also be affected to some degree by how good in shape you're in. And if you're in really, really good shape, you're basal metabolic rate is going to be lower. Um, your resting metabolic rate is going to be lower because your heart, you know, beats slower. You produce, you know, you need less basically to go on. So training more can actually end up lowering this or eating more can end up raising that. And it plays a bunch of, it's pong, you know, right. like it just kind of goes back and forth like that, which is great. It's maddening at times, though, if you're trying to utilize that to figure out what it is you need to eat in a day, training clients, um, you know, helping clients with their nutritional protocols. And it's why at the end of the day, the people that are in it the longest or, or that kind of understand these things the way that it works get that it's fine to start out with a times 12 formula. It's fine. It's yeah. fine to use Mifflin. It's fine to use the Harris spinet. It's fine to use all these things as starting points. It's fine to use Fitbits. It's fine to use any of these kinds of things. But you have to still base it upon what happens to you and what reactions take place in you. And if you get bogged down by all these numbers, it'll make you crazy. Because the truth of the matter is, is that unless you are in a completely bound environment where your breath is being measured in a tank and your activity is being controlled in a small environment, no one's going to, and, and even then it's still not going to be accurate to, to like the level of degree, you know, biopsies are what we need for this. And then you're dead. And so, you know, you, you just, you have to get to that point of understanding that free living isn't just a, a term in research. It's, it's something that you need to actually be able to apply. It needs to be something that fits into your world. A free living diet that fits into your lifestyle needs to actually make sense because it's going to be what your metabolic rate is. And you have to take into account all those variables, your training, your walking, your lifestyle, all of these things. And so if we look at the metabolism in that sense and we look at what we're giving to it, whatever we do to it um, is, is going to have repercussions. Again, it's the pong. It like yeah. bounces back and forth. So if you go into a deficit, for example, just kind of where starve mode uh, kicks in, if you go into a deficit, the only way that you're going to lose body fat is to metabolically adapt. Because it adapts. That's what it does. It goes, oh, these things have to ship. So this hormone's going to go up. This hormone's going to go down. This one's going to go to the left. And this one's going to go to the right. You know, my thyroid production's going to be this. And my testosterone is going to be that. Um, and generally speaking, things move up and down and lower because it all has to call signal to take a little bit of stored oil inside of a, a, you know, a fat cell and release it so you can breathe it out, urinate it out, or sweat it out. You know, and, and that's it. And that's how fat loss works. But the body's going to go eventually, and for some people very quickly, others not so much. It's going to go, wait a second. 
I don't like what's happening here. You know, I'm, I'm not primed for just vanity. I, I kind of want to try to achieve living. I don't want to die. You know, I, I want, I want to, to actually make it in this world. So I'm going to do everything I can to kind of counteract what it is you're doing. And, um, and, and if you don't watch for that, you're going to have negative repercussions from the deficits. And the longer you're in a deficit, the more likely these repercussions are. You throw heavy, aggressive training on top of that. You're going to be more efficient. You're going to be more efficient in your caloric burn. You're going to be more efficient in the calories you expend. Um, and also your body is going to try to decrease all other things. And this is where people lose their hair in a deficit. Um, they have less oil. Their skin gets drier. Um, all of these little things are affected. It's not just fat. You know, it's it's not just going to be fat loss is taken. Minerals stored, um, you know, glycogen, of course, in the form of, of carbohydrates. All of these things are going to be pulled. And ultimately, you have to pay that smart game between pushing yourself, um, but not too hard so that you just don't get into this adaptive state. Now, how aggressive that is, how permanent that is, that's where a lot of the debate and conversation is. And we can go into that if you want to. Um, most of it's completely reversible unless you have a really large amount of weight that you need to lose. Um, it's small, kind of non-significant uh, numbers. Um, but... Um, but these things do happen and you just, and that's why it's, it's good to balance breaks with refeeds, keeping activity consistent and kind of just playing this game. And that's what we found. And it really, it does work quite well. And there's been some studies now, which, um, you know, we had the Matador study released, which was kind of a big deal. Um, what you had a, a really good first kind of refeeding study that, that said, Hey, yeah, taking breaks might lead to larger weight loss. There's also problems with that study. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is kind of, we're starting to have research catch up more and more, whereas we had to find these parts and put them together. Um, now we're actually kind of seeing people in research going forward on the mm -hmm. actual question. And that's a really exciting time in science um, and, and to kind of see that taking place. So I, I know that's a, a question about what the metabolism is, but that is kind of what it is. And that that's how I think lay people can kind of utilize it in into some sort of knowledge rather than um, getting kind of deeper into, into like physical processes and peptides and this and that and the other, and which is fine. But, um, I think that's how the general audience would maybe find any sort of use from it. No, I think that was an amazing description of the metabolism. I think a lot of people who they hear it and they, they don't really necessarily understand the insides and outs of it and kind of how dynamic it is just incredibly dynamic you change yes. one thing and something else can change and um on on what something that looks very simple and on the surface might be something that you think is just oh it's just energy expenditure it's it's so so complicated and you rightfully put out that it kind of adapts to what you give it if, if you yeah. give it something like a calorie deficit it will adapt because that is what the body does um for survival uh, and you kind of touched on it a little bit with like refeeds and um, obviously the new study and potentially, I'm not sure if you actually named it, but diet breaks. Is there anything you've learned kind of since publishing the book? Obviously, you talked about the fact that you're going to release a second edition. Yeah. Is there, what's kind of the new things that you're thinking, this is a better approach or this is something that I've maybe you've already been using it with clients and seeing success? Yeah, I, I have. Um, I think a lot of the material... I would not say in any way like the book is, you know, wrong or it's on any sort of bad direction. If you read the book now or if you read what I update, it's still going to be kind of the same thing. I think what I've learned over the past years working with clients and really just having to communicate this, um, I've learned better how to communicate it um, in, in the sense of how to really get to the point. And, and, I, and I really think that this is the key to individualization and how to let an individual understand what they're doing is working and what they're doing um, in response and then how they need to turn and go. Um, and this is mostly about energy expenditure and measurements and trying to understand because the crucial point, uh, like I said, the body adapts obviously in a deficit. Well, it also adapts in, in maintenance. It adapts in overfeeding as well. Um, it, it, it's not just negative or, or in a, in a, in a restriction sense that it adapts. So it, it so there's going to be a lot more writing in the aspect of how, um, you can, I, I focused a lot in starve mode about the negative, I guess, if you will, like what happens when you take it away. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the research of what you happens when you add, um, and kind of playing with the, how much can I eat? 
How much can I get away with? Um, how much can I kind of play with the lines of that? Because with a lot of my clients, we'll get through the deficits and, and you know, they'll get the body fat off. Um, and then it's kind of playing with that game with, wait, what's maintenance? Where am I gaining? Where am I not gaining? Is this muscle? Is this not muscle? Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of that typical conversation about needing to be in a surplus to gain uh, muscle mass and how much that actually is true um, and how much we can play with an absolute maintenance versus a continual striving towards leading towards a surplus. Um, so there's going to be a lot of conversation about that added in. That's not really in it. Um, there's going to be a continual conversation about trackers, um, and monitors and yeah. And, and their influence on our uh, diet activity and, and, and how that kind of works and how incorrect or correct they are. Um, along with more conversation about just kind of getting away from the numbers, but then using the numbers, which it seems kind of maddening, but we, you know, it's like, if you understand the consistent, the the difference between understanding the consistency of data versus the accuracy of data, because there can be a consistency in your data. Um, but it doesn't mean that 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 is accurate and understanding how to interchange and play with those two things. Um, so those are some of the things that, um, We'll go in there. As far as like the actual protocols for refeeds, it's mostly just strategy um, based upon um, your emotional state and your goals and and really just how um, fast that you need to get there. And um, there's some more research that I've I've delved into, like, for example, just kind of a lot of it has to do with water. A lot of it has to do with just how the body will hold on to things specifically again for women um, and where it's located. A lot more specific conversations about, um, you know, just kind of the location of water holds and where you can kind of physically see um, an increase in your metabolic rate. And I I don't want to go out on the limb and say the word health because it's kind of a dicey area, but the likelihood of an improvement of certain markers in relevance or in relation to where water physically is being stored in the body or or a pitting or edema and stuff like that. So a lot more things to help people understand if they're on the right track, Mm -hmm. because that's the number one reason that people will buy the book, but still contact me. They're like, I'm reading it and I, I get what you're saying, but I'm still scared. Like I'm really scared or I don't know like if this is the right thing or I gained this amount of weight. Is that normal? And, you know, and I do talk about that in the book, but you just can't talk about that enough with mm-hmm. that type of, you know, a clientele. You just can't because they really, 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 really need to know that what they're doing is OK. Um, and um, there really needs to be a lot of room for the baby steps. And then there's going to be a little bit of myth busting, especially now that um, reverse dieting and a lot of. Um, you know, diet break diets and things that have come out on the market. Now there's a place, um, and I don't mean this critically uh, in like an aggressive sense, but there's a place for me to kind of myth bust or, um, you know, kind of talk about, you know, what is correct or what's not correct or what kind of things are on the mark or what things are not on the mark. Um, And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of what the updates are going to look like in a, in a nutshell. Um, It right now they're kind of scattered bits of, you know, little study researches here and little bits there. Um, and, and there's not too much to take away. There's really more to add. So I imagine it's going to creep up to about 300 pages or more, um, uh, by the time I'm done with it and, and probably a good, um, 200 some plus more references. I mean, if not even more, I mean, really references are just a matter of when you're going to be really literal. I could just say, well, here's the whole nutritional <laughs> journal and here's that, you know, and, and kind of plop that down. But yeah, so I'm excited about it. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's definitely time for an update and I'm going to coincide that with the other book, um, with the fat loss troubleshoot updates, because it's really, um, it kind of goes back to more individualization. Now that information I think is it's out there, which is great. A lot of people get mad about it, but I'm like, no, I had to write this post a long time ago about, you know, troubleshooting fat loss. And Mm -hmm. now people are using, like I go on Facebook and I see people saying things like, well, yeah, you're neat or yeah, this or that. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like this is, you know, it's common knowledge or at least even in our field. So, um, I'm going to kind of update more about individualizations and I feel that they go hand in hand because what a lot of people think is starvation mode really isn't. And then that's the whole process. So, um, there's just, it's just a big cross update that needs to happen. And really it's just about strategy and communication being at the lead front so that you can actually apply something with Mm -hmm. it. Um, instead of just being a lot of verbiage for the sake of verbiage, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's, 
direction I'm heading. That sounds incredibly exciting. I still remember, and I can't believe actually that like Fitbits and things like this have been out for so long. And I remember reading Starve Mode ages ago and that they kind of, and you had all the research there and you kind of went into those, which was really interesting and even more has come out. Um, and I'm glad you touched on kind of the the fact that it might not be accurate, but kind of consistently inaccurate. So it yeah. can give you a bit of an idea about things, just like your, your weighing scale. Wait, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, I thought that was brilliant. And I think I'm interested and I think the listeners might be interested. I think a lot of the listeners might already do this where they might monitor their steps. So an element of yeah. their NEAT and then they're tracking their macronutrient intake and then they're tracking their scale weight and maybe some image like taking images and circumference measure measurements. How are you when you're kind of working with clients to trying to get a gauge of, are we progressing in the right direction? What's the kind of, uh, what is our energy output and intake? Yeah, obviously it's going to be different depending on what the goals are. Um, I literally do different things with different clients on the goals um, because gaining muscle mass, for example, is going to be a completely different tracking system uh, versus someone who has uh, who's obese that has a large amount of actual physical weight to lose. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I do I approach different strategies. Like for example, for an obese client, um, we take a really uh, a long game look at things. And, um, I, it's, it's not very popular, um, in the training community, but, um, I really, I really try to tier their training. Um, and I try to kind of tier what they do, um, and do as little as possible in the beginning. And we keep it to really, you know, watching not to atrophy basic, um, you know, lower volume, uh, steps, consistency, um, putting more focus on low grade activity than, um, you know, can, cause it's not conditioning. And, and I step away from, um, that kind of conditioning fat loss and, and cause I'm not such a fan, um, of it, um, unless there's a, there's a very specific audience. And I think that that audience is, is not going to be an individual that needs to lose over 40 pounds of body fat. Um, so, um, we, we take a very guided approach and what I always tell my clients, and, and this is just, it's a really big tip in my opinion. Um, whenever you're in a, in a deficit, for example, and you're trying to measure results, one of the best things that you can do is knock out variables and with knocking out the variables, um, I find the easiest way to do that is to make sure that, um, any sort of neat and NEPA are kind of different in the aspect that, that, um, we kind of look at neat, uh, as a subconscious activity, how much you're fidgeting or like how much I'm talking with my hands right now or, or what have you. Um, there's debate into that, but I kind of, I, I put it into that category. NEPA is, is kind of a low grade activity. How much you walk to your mailbox, how much you, you know, go around, um, your house doing activities or whatnot, or, or low grade walking. Um, it, the argument between I purposely exercise or I just kind of whatever, but, um, it's in that zone. If you watch that though, if you watch your NEPA and if you set actual steps, deadlines daily to hit and you make sure that those don't falter any sort of kind of subconscious adaptations that happen in neat um, with fidgeting or moving or how excited you walk or how excited you talk and these kind of things um, will be undercut just a little bit yeah. and so your adaptations during a deficit will be less aggressive because what usually people focus on is you're like oh well i went and i did my exercising i hit my same exercise calorie burns and i and i did my same training well yeah you're getting better at that so that's getting more efficient so that's actually burning less for you and if you're sitting on the couch all day or if you're not keeping up the consistency in your low-grade activity welcome to a plateau um, but we avoid plateaus. Um, the only plateaus I ever have with clients is emotional ones. Right. You know, they just don't want to not eat. And there's, there's a whole, that's a whole other, you know, gamut. That's a whole other thing. That's the only plateaus that we hit. I, if I have a client that's doing what it is they need to do, we don't hit plateaus. Um, because we take breaks, we, we, um, go into hard deficits. We can cut hard as we want to cut. Um, we can break as hard as we want to break. And as long as we need to, uh, it goes up and down and it cycles and it does its thing. And success is always had if they want it. Mm -hmm. Um, the only time that there's any sort of issues is if there's literal procrastination problems. So if you keep those variables out of a problem, it's like, okay, well, I know my steps are being hit. I know that I'm hitting, you know, arbitrary number, 10,000 steps a day. I know that I'm hitting my training sessions the same. I know that my caloric intake is being monitored um, on my consistent level. It doesn't have to be counting. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be whatever it is. It just needs to be consistent. It just needs to not change. 
change. So it doesn't matter if it's counting or not. It doesn't matter if it's a scale. I will say that the the more if you can handle it emotionally, um, the more targeted you are with your measuring and things like that. Yeah, it's going to be a more consistent result. You're you're going to have more consistency in that outcome. Um, but it doesn't have to be. It can be palm of hand. It can be portions. It can be taking something away. It can be paleo. It can be whatever. It doesn't really matter. Just it needs to be consistent. Um, but yeah, you do all those things. You're not really going to have any surprises, but if you look at a lot of the formulas that a lot of other people utilize for fat loss or, or for doing that, there's a lot of room for error. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of room for not even knowing what your caloric burn is in the first place. Um, you know, and, and I utilize a kind of under, I, I underestimate in, and deficits and I overestimate and, and maintenances and surpluses. And I think that that's a kind of good rule of thumb until you have a literal, um, yeah. understanding of numbers because motivation is so crucial. So if you, you know, and, and there's, we're kind of in this like pro anorexia argument right now where it's like, Oh, how dare you like actually restrict food? They're starving. We need to eat more to lose more. And it's like, yeah, no, you can, but there's a fine line in that. Like there's some people that, don't move very much. So they don't need to eat that much more. And, you know, and there, there's people that really do like they, they perform better with all their movement. And, and uh, in a day, it's like that they'll burn 2,500 calories without even blinking. So, um, trying to get the Avenue, but you've got to adjust it like that. So with my clients, they keep steps consistent. I kind of underestimate, I, I use Mifflin um, calculators and formulas mixed with um, any sort of tracker status that I have. And I kind of take an underestimation eye view to it. If results are really dramatic, like they're having headaches, they can't sleep and they're losing a lot of fat, then it's like, hey, you know, if you want to dial it up a little bit, like, you know, that's fine. Like, let's kind of play with that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't give them specific amounts no. for the record. Um, you know, I, I tell them what I think their inter energy estimates are. Um, and they elect to choose what they think they can hit based upon our kind of, you know, conversations and goals and things like that. And they go at it and, um, you know, we just do strategy. That's what we do with the, my whole thing is like, this is, you know, it's a war. It's, it's, you're, you're trying to take something away from the body and you got to sneak and go around it at every single angle that you can, um, mentally, physically. So we do that. We keep those consistencies. And if you do that with your clients or yourself, you're really not going to have a lot of surprises. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it really takes away a lot of those question marks where it's like, I don't, I don't get those emails. It's like, I don't understand why haven't I lost. And it's like, they know why they haven't, you know, if they haven't, because yeah. you know, you, you ate the pie at the end of the night. Like, <laughs> you know, that's why, but if they're actually doing what they need to do, um, they see it. Um, they see it either. And, and, you know, we'll do scales if there's a large amount of weight or we'll do just pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just do a lot of pictures and, and flex pose poses. So you can see the kind of body recomposition that takes place because sometimes just a still stand picture isn't going to do it. Yeah. Um, it hides like definition changes that could be happening or muscle gain that could be taking place sometimes. So I do flex poses. I do it from angles and, um, and just get really hands on. So, I mean, if you do all these things that I said, listening or with your clients, you're going to have, you're going to have positive results. Um, the only areas when you're getting into, you know, okay, where well, I'm going to recomp and how we set that up and how much volume of training. And if you want to add a lot of muscle while also trying to eat, um, without gaining as much, that does get a little trickier. Um, and that's kind of a different conversation, but I think that covers a majority anyway. Mm -hmm. No, it's really interesting. And Something I did want to talk about, and you kind of touched on it already, is the kind of water weight that people hold on to. Yeah. And especially, I think females are particularly kind of renowned for holding on to water weight. <laughs> I mean, partly because of the cycle and everything that goes yep. on with that. Um, but something I definitely have with some, especially female clients, is sometimes, I mean, the scale might not kind of indicate oh, yeah. the fat loss and it just throws things off. And I think a lot of people put too much faith into the scale and obviously we're tracking other elements but still the, the scale can upset someone so much uh, yeah. that it kind of yeah it can really create an emotional attachment how have you kind of dealt with that with your clients you spoke about kind of not using the scale when they are on the yes. leaner side and they're trying to lose less um, is that something that you've found has been really helpful yeah if I have a client that's very pragmatic and that really which those are really few in between, um, male or female, I pragmatic, just kind of, I can understand data for data's sake, yeah. then we'll utilize all forms and functions of measurement scale. Um, I basically, I love 
to use them because they're data hounds and yeah. it really allows me to kind of test things. Um, so I love having those clients, but they're rarer. Um, what I usually, usually do is if I have any sort of recomping client, uh, whatsoever in which that we're trying to add some muscle or alter, um, because you can add some muscle and deficit or, or, you know, in, in improve neurological, like, you know, firing and understanding control of like body positioning and things like that, you can kind of get some changes there. And with that, you're going to store, even if just a little bit, a little bit more glycogen, you know, you're going to, you're going to store a little bit more water because, you know, with the muscle comes the water and, and like physical weight sometimes. Um, but because of the way it's expressed and kind of, um, uh, it gets portioned out in the body. It, it looks good. Men are usually not so, more, so concerned about this. As long as they see that they're leaning out and they've yep. got six packs going in the mirrors, they're usually, they don't really care because they're like, well, you know, the scale's up, but look at this. And it's like, you know, okay, yeah, I get you. Um, but with women, it's not always the case and there's that psychological element. So for a lot of women, we don't weigh. We don't weigh that much. We do pictures and I do pictures, um, from multiple angles. And, um, if they have one of those moments, which they, they tend to do like ornery rebellious children and they get on the scale and they're like, I, I know I shouldn't have, but I got on the scale and they do something like that. After I give them a stern talking to, I will explain to them why, you know, and I, and I think the most important thing is there's a lot of things I doubt in life or that I wonder about. This is not one of them. Um, I've been doing this so long that it's not that I'm not open to new ideas or sciences or, or things like that or how the process works or how we explain it or where the connecting factors are. But I can tell you in the sense of, of unless there's an actual medical problem taking place, this is really kind of basic stuff that we've had a tendency to overcomplicate. So it, it really is easy to explain these things. And if you just explain to them what's taking place and they understand, I mean, I don't mean that in a guru or like kind of cult leader fashion, but um, if you explain to them what's kind of going on, it, it helps. It, it doesn't fix it because mm -hmm. they're so fixated on that number, but it helps. And um, I do have a collection now too of like pictures or before and afters where it's like, look, this is the same weight. Look at this. And, you know, they're the same weight. Like, so, you know, you have that. And sometimes that's the case. And sometimes it's not going to be the case for certain individuals. And again, that's where we have a problem because there's some individuals that really will have to lose actual physical weight for a period of time um, and maybe recomp on their way up or emotionally they can't handle um, gaining muscle while also having fat because it gives too much of an illusion to their being bulky. Um, when really it's just the way that everything looks underneath and they, they just, they don't like the combination. So that becomes the kind of dance that we do from clients to trainers and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, I don't use weight mm -hmm. scales very much for individuals that are on a smaller pace or they can't handle the data. I really have found that pictures, um, in flexing poses are just best. And I line them up, you know, and I give them their before and afters as they're going along and they feel encouraged, you know, and even if they get on the scale, they do kind of have somewhere in the back of their mind going, yeah, no, I do look better in the picture or yep. no, I see that. And I draw lines and I'm like, look at this, look at the <laughs> width of your back to like the width here, because sometimes people still can't see it. And it's like, yeah. we can see it, um, but they can't see it. So again, it's just about individuality being really hands on. Um, and my biggest challenge is just trying to figure out how to map that individuality out to the masses so yeah. they can do it for themselves, you know? No, fantastic. And I don't know if you have worked with physique competitors, but obviously yes. we speak to, I mean, the audience watching this, there'll be some, there'll definitely be like some bikini athletes watching and things like this. Do you use that same approach with them kind of the photos oh, and not... i especially use that approach with oh, them oh amazing uh, yeah because with physique competitors it's a completely different animal mm -hmm. you put a girl who kind of wants your kind of basic jennifer aniston yoga -y kind of body and she probably is going to lose some actual physical weight she's going to get smaller in a literal scale sense mm -hmm. um it that's true you know and i think that we have to be kind of honest about that but you go with the bikini physique competitors, um, any sort of figure athlete that's going into that arena and their scale is all over the place because they're gaining muscle mass. They're having, um, and especially this is going to be true of any kind of competitor does any sort of sark cycling of any sort of carbohydrates whatsoever, which I generally don't. Um, generally speaking, I don't manipulate anything 
unless it has to be manipulated. I think that that is the crucial rule of game, um, playing with water games and it just messes with your head. Um, and it puts you in a place in which you don't actually understand where you are. Stay fed of carbohydrates, stay fed of sodium, stay fed a period of all the things that you need so that, you know, um, when you go into this, if you do have to restrict a little bit of water or a little bit, um, of carbohydrates in some sort of small area because different bodies are different things. You know, that rule of thumb of like, Oh, there's no carbohydrate manipulation or there can be no water manipulation whatsoever. There's some individuals that will pop a little bit more. It's just, it's really different with each person and you just got to kind of figure that out. Um, but I would say that 90% of the people that I work with go into a, a stage day, never manipulating hardly any carbohydrates. It's just the overall caloric and macronutrient layout. Um, and they usually do not get on that scale, um, unless they're really happy with what they see. And then I'm like, if you're fine with getting on it to celebrate and see where you are, that's awesome. Um, but otherwise it's just a stay away game. And, um, it's very hard emotionally psycho like from a psychological standpoint for women, because this is not celebrated. Um, and, and it's not really celebrated for men either in the, in the really aggressive bodybuilding kind of circuit you're still kind of a little bit of an outsider there, but for women, especially it's just not psychologically or emotionally or societal celebrated. So anything that kind of contributes to that, I find is just not, um, it's not really healthy for them. So we just kind of stay away from anything that is normal standards. Same with BMI charts, you know, and things like that. Just stay away from it all because it's not relevant to you. It wasn't written for you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it, that's not what it was for this. That's, it's not a metric of measure you need. Um, and I think that that kind of, if it's kind of for the basic bitch world, it doesn't apply to you. So just kind of stay away from it altogether. Um, and, and, you know, so we have success with that, but yeah, no, no scale weight for the most part because the hardest man or woman, um, can get on that scale and it just breaks them and makes them doubt, makes them yeah. get in their head. And that's, what's the point, you know, just keep, keep putting your head down and you're going to do it. Yeah. No, amazing. I think I, especially when, when I liked you already associated kind of when you do have less weight to lose, like why use such an approximate tool and, yeah. and might not be appropriate. So uh, rely on the other kind of data points there. And I, I definitely see it with male and female competitors. When you get that close to stage, I mean, the chances are, I mean, you're losing small amounts of fat. That oh, makes up a yeah. tiny amount of the scale weight change. So you really can't rely on the scale in that position. It's more likely it's measuring more water than it is fat yep. at that stage. Um, it's so just no, this minutia that's, that can just get in your head. The only time that we ever worry about now, if I'm doing power lifters, this is the meat or something like oh, that. Yeah. You know, that's one thing, um, which, and again, if you never restrict carbohydrates or sodium or things like that, talk about really easy way of making your weight. Yeah. You know, if you stay lean enough and you do what it is you need to do and you do need to make like a small weight manipulation, um, and then have an edge a bit on your competitors, it's a great way to do it. So, you know, in that arena, then yeah, the scale matters, but pretty much everywhere else it just it just doesn't yeah no fantastic and i actually because we talked about like the fitbit devices and hitting the yeah. step counts have you ever found clients have kind of got a bit attached to those kind of that number and kind of oh yeah it causes that, some anxiety that is going to be a, the bulk of why the updates um you know it's funny because i i I, I've been doing it since body media, um, with, when they had the, the huge body bugs that like were like on the arms, I've been testing tracker devices since then because I'm a data hound and I was like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, this is awesome data. Yeah. You know? Um, and I can say for a fact that since all of this has kind of come about, they do have a tendency to overestimate more and more as the years go by. Right. And that has been an issue of contention for, um, uh, a lot of clients and just individuals like, because I also have a membership group. So I get asked a lot of questions about that and people get really attached to that number. They think that they can eat that number or they think that they deserve that number. And what I usually find is that if you're in a maintenance situation or even trying to gain muscle or gain mass in a slight surplus, they're pretty decent. They're not bad. Um, they're, 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 leading towards a higher level of accuracy or less error, um, for the majority of individuals, you know, I would say we're talking five to 10%, which is pretty good for yeah. a wearable device. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy, not bad, but in deficits, 
they can account for metabolic adaptations. They can account for slow and small changes in Nieder Nepper, how intense that you're getting in your workouts or how conditioned you are in your training. They don't account for any of that. They really don't. Even if they measure heart rates, there's more to it than just a heart rate. So um, people get very attached and they're like, I don't understand. I'm burning 2,400 calories in a day. I'm eating 1,400. I should be losing a solid you know, pound of this and mm. this should just be falling off. If it's not, you know, it, it has a tendency to suggest that your adaptation to it or um, the level of uh, a kind of like metabolic adjustment that you have is is not going to show in that device. And that's OK. Like you just adjust, you know, you just let it go. Um, and even I had my own emotional kind of state with that. Yeah, I don't want to preach from just a pedestal. Um, there was a period of time. I mean, this was a lot forever ago when they first came out with the body bugs. It's like, I don't get it. Like I'm burning this. I'm eating that. Like, why isn't this adding up? I'm measuring to like the nth degree. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? It's just data. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not it's not perfect. And you learn, you learn quickly what works for you and you learn that you can eat more of this and that it will kind of get closer to that. Um, and, but maybe eating the amount of food or the type of food that leads to a higher caloric burn makes you have more of a tendency to binge, or maybe it has harder with dietary adherence, mm -hmm. or maybe it feels digestively, you know, you're having some problems down there and <laughs> you can't do that, you know, and like, it's, it's not black and white, right? So, um, yeah, you can't get attached to those numbers. You can't get attached to what you think the caloric intake that you're having is because it's not, I mean, from nut to nut to, um, different kind of fats to how the meat's cooked, you name it. It's, these are estimates. Yeah. They're all estimates. They're all really good guesses, you know, but I wouldn't want these estimates as drone targets. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're going to kill some civilians. Like it's not going to be okay. So, you know, just understand them for the estimates that they are. Don't get emotionally attached to them. Something's not wrong with you because it's 200 calories off. Um, and, you know, you can play with that. And that's especially in maintenance. But in deficits, sometimes it's just the bag you're handed, you know, yeah. and, and it's easier for some people than it is others. And I can tell you with playing with every combination of dietary this or caffeine pills that or, you know, and it's natural between non-natural clients. It's just a bag that you're handed. It really is. And you've got to figure out what works for you, what you can stick with with free living and utilize them as consistent trackers. Mm -hmm. Don't utilize them as accurate trackers because they're two different words and they really do mean two different things. Um, you just will get it consistent. It's the same with like biomedic scales and, yeah. you know, testing body fat. Like pe people get on there and they're like, I don't understand. I'm 27% body fat. And it's like, you're, no, it's a scale that measures like, come on, like yeah. don't, it's just, does it consistently go down? Okay. Yay. Because it also can consistently go down based upon how much water you drink. You know, I mean, there's so many variables that come into play. So, you know, just look for consistency. Mm -hmm. Do not get attached to that number emotionally. No, you know? that's fantastic. And I think, I think even people, when you're consuming food and you're trying to hit maybe macronutrient targets, like people get very obsessed about just a number. And even that we know food labels can be off by a certain amount. Exactly. So even trying to hit those exact is um, kind of fallacious in its own right. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've kept you for an hour. Um, I think we've talked about a ton of stuff. I think we could go into a lot more depth, but I would just, I want to be respectful of your time. And I think we've covered a lot of things for the listeners um, and a lot for them to think about. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I mean, for me, I, I massively took home the fact that so much of this is individual and so dynamic. Yes. And I think those are the two things that people just forget about and they go for the black and white. So thank you for bringing those up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, basically we learned that everything we know is wrong <laughs> and don't trust anything and really sorry to rain on your parade now, but it's true. It's, it's really about individualization. Um, and this goes hand in hand too, with not comparing yourself to like people you see on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. Like, Oh, I eat 3000. How come they can do that? And I can't just focus on you. And it doesn't mean you can't improve you because mm -hmm. you can. And we, you know, I do that with clients, but focus on you. Yeah, for sure. That's Big fantastic. Type. And Thanks for having so, me. Oh, no, absolutely. And I, I know the, ple the pleasure is all mine. And I know the listeners are going to be really happy to have had uh, you come on the podcast. So I want to make sure if they want to get more from you. Um, I know you've got a website with various things on. Is that the best place for people to reach yeah, out? Yeah, just my name, leapill.com. And if I don't send you where you need to go, that's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> so just leapill.com. 
Perfect. I'll make sure that's linked in the description box below so people can check that out. And if you have got any comments, questions, feel free to throw them below and we'll have a look. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. So cheers, guys. Take care.